welcome to the inaugural Beauty and the Infertility Beast podcast on this very miserable Sunday afternoon on the sunny Gold Coast. It was beautiful this morning. Yeah, now it's torrential rain. <laughs> it so. is. It was beautiful and sunny and 32 degrees this morning. We went and had a lovely breakfast and now it's been storming for the past two and a half hours. Well, I'll introduce myself then. I'm Paul. I'm 27. I that's pretty much all there is to say about me. It sums <laughs> me up in a nutshell. Uh, I'm Sam, and I am 28. Um, earlier in this year, we uh, decided after 11 years of being together that we would try and have a baby. And I don't know about Paul, but I thought that it was going to be great. <laughs> I thought that by now. I would be at least six months pregnant and we would have a baby in the new year. As it turns out, that's not the case and we have started infertility investigations. So that's just a little bit of a generalisation of our of our journey so far. So Yeah, we just wanted to I don't know, put some some words into some of the thoughts and, you know, start to record some of the I don't want to use the word journey. I got criticised during the week for using the word journey in a professional manner. Uh, this particular client of mine said um, he's sick of hearing people talk to him about going on a journey together. He said, come up with a new term. Fortunately, it's two days in and I still don't have a new term. So uh, we're going down a path. Oh, but I think for us it is it is a journey. Um, it's something that we thought would happen quite quickly. I mean, we're still... I think we're still young, um, but apparently <laughs> not young on our insides. <laughs> so well, I think journey is definitely the is definitely the word for us. Um, I mean, we've already had a crazy journey over the past eleven years, and we got married four years ago, and. Um, we actually had planned on trying not long after we got married and then life happened. So, yeah, I think it's, it, I think journey is the right word for us. We hear a lot of, you know, our parents and those of around that generation say, you know, don't, don't settle down early, just go out there, have some fun, don't worry about kids, it's easy, it can come later, you know, worry about career or go travelling, et cetera, et cetera. But I suppose it never transpires into what can actually happen no and I think that's the thing I think um, especially with both of our parents they had babies quite young and they had no trouble falling pregnant um, we all know your conception story which is pretty funny yeah that's not, it's not really that. it's not really something that you want to as a wife find out of your husband but or as a son <laughs> but we all know um but yeah as I say between your parents there's five siblings in your family and in my family there's five siblings as well so um there was never an issue of falling pregnant with them so I think that go travel go further your career and it's just kind of delaying life, I guess, because they feel like they missed out a little bit in their early to mid-20s because they had kids young. 
Yeah. Whereas we've kind of done the opposite, but now at 28 and 27, we're struggling to have a baby. Yeah, but I suppose everyone's different and we'll probably go into that a little bit further throughout this series or even this podcast. So why don't you run us through the last, well, what's it been, eight months? Um, I think we're in our ninth month, so we're almost up to ten months. Almost up to ten months. So early on, I'll just sorry, digress a little bit. Early on, obviously, we decided we made the conscious decision to stop not trying. Yeah, just to not be safe, I guess the word is. I mean, we spend our, all of our teenage lives in our early 20s being safe. That's because of how fertile we are in our teenage years, apparently. Allegedly. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we made that conscious decision and, you know, we maybe naively thought that similar to the, the stories of during our, our teenage years, it drums into us so much that... You know, you, you have unprotected sex and boom, you're pregnant. And, yeah, you get to see, obviously, all those TV shows and series of things like 16 and Pregnant and Young Mums and things like that. And you go, geez, yeah, it's really that easy. Not realising that there's however many billion people in the world that it's probably not as easy and there's probably a bit more luck to it based on, you know, some of the stuff you've been looking into. Yeah, and um, yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree with that. Um, we are from a very young age told don't have sex, you'll get pregnant. So again, I do, I do think that we were naive in that thinking, and I think um, it was even a little bit. Well, I even felt a little bit like mischievous, like a little bit naughty, so to speak, when we first started having sex without any protection. I remember we laughed. I we laughed. You, you giggled like a little schoolgirl. Followed by a whoops and then <laughs> giggling. Yep. So I, I think it's, it's all very exciting in the beginning. Um, and for the first few months, you don't really worry too much. Um, we got to probably maybe four or five months. And then I started to get a little bit worried. Um, uh, we did have a cycle there that was uh, over about 40 days, I think. And I had convinced myself that I was pregnant. So why, how did you do that? Why did you do that? I don't know. Um, I think as much as Google is a friend in this situation, it's also a huge hindrance. It's Dr. Google is a pain in my butt. <laughs> well, um, take, take us through that. So when you say it's a pain in your back, butt, sorry, not your back, <laughs> what do you mean that it's a pain in your back? Bah, bah. <laughs> I'll figure out in a minute. Um, look, I think it's a fantastic tool um, when you get to the stage that we're at now. But four months into the journey when we know nothing about it, really, and basically we haven't been tracking, we've just been having sex, as we normally would, nothing special or different about it. The only thing that is different is we're not protected. Um, so I think diving deeper into... Um, the medical 
research around what could this mean? So bleeding for two days and then stopping. Oh my, and you do a Google search of that, you'll get implantation bleeding straight away. And so I Googled implantation bleeding um, during that cycle. And it <laughs> was not the smartest idea because every single one of the symptoms of implantation bleeding and implantation itself was what I had had over a course of maybe two or three days. Um, and yeah, obviously then I had convinced myself that I was pregnant and I mean, you saw how anxious I was um, because we obviously didn't count that as a period. It was like I was seven or eight days late for my period. And um, yeah, so obviously we're at that that testing stage and I was very anxious and I'd worked myself up so much um, that I was obviously in a state of panic. <laughs> Not panic um, in a bad sort of way, but panic in a, oh my God, this could actually be happening. And what did you do about that then? Um, so I obviously tested <laughs> and it was negative. And I didn't want to tell you. Why didn't you want to tell me? Um, I don't know. I think because I'd worked myself up to the point where I was convinced and I almost felt like you were convinced. You probably weren't, but it was just the way it was I'll give you a tip. I'm never convinced. <laughs> You'll you could be probably convinced. be eight months pregnant and I still <laughs> will not be convinced. Oh, um, yeah, so I just, I don't know, I felt like I was disappointing you by getting myself that worked up about it, and thinking that I was pregnant and then not being pregnant, and I think we've learnt now, <laughs> sorry, our dog is snoring in the background, fur baby. so if you can hear it, yes, our fur baby, um, our firstborn. <laughs> Blood is wrong on so many levels, so <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, and now, as you know, of course, um, we've had many a pregnancy test since then and many a BFP, and if you don't know what that means, big fat negative. No, sorry, I said BFP, didn't I? I've never had a BFP. I lied. It was a BFN. I'm pretty sure you said BSP, but that could just be my terrible hearing. <laughs> so, obviously, you went through that. So, what, what happened next? What, um, what did you do next? So, we um, obviously continued to try. Um, we got a little bit further in depth after that. So, um, we went and bought a basal body temperature thermometer that's right and i threatened to put it up your bum yeah <laughs> and that's not happening hey it on the packet it does it say does it say... can be taken rectally yes it does but that is not what we do be one way to wake you up no thanks um so everyone's just learnt a little bit too much about me <laughs> um yeah so obviously we started tracking basal body temperature um so I think we started that in June. 
So, or maybe late May. So do you think that has helped you in understanding what's going on? Um, look, I think it's um, giving me an insight into my cycles and into the cycles that I don't ovulate. So watching those, um, that basal body temperature, for anybody who doesn't know, obviously, um, when you get to your ovulation period, you actually drop quite a bit in your um, temperature, your basal body temperature, which is taken first thing in the morning, basically as soon as you open your eyes. Um, and uh, for a few months, I wasn't getting that drop at all. So watching that um, was a little concerning, of course. Um, and uh, there was a month that I did actually ovulate. And we pinpointed when I ovulated, I wasn't only using a the basal body temperature. This was August, I think, um, early August. Um, so I had also purchased um, OPKs, so ovulation predictor kits, um, and I had gotten a solid smiley face that morning. <laughs> and um, after visiting the doctor a few days prior to that, I'd actually been booked in for a um, what's the word I'm looking for? A medical procedure. No. <laughs> I don't know. One of those That's things. not what I'm asking. Um, for an ultrasound. Um, so basically the doctor was checking me for PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and within that scan, uh, the sonographer actually works quite closely with an IVF clinic um, not too far from here. So she actually confirmed for me that I had um, ovulated uh, so I definitely know that I ovulated that month and I definitely know that we had sex on the right day, but here we are <laughs> three months after that and nothing. Okay. So what happened? What happened next? What did you do next? Uh, so after that, um, after that scan was done, I obviously went back to the doctor for the results. And I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, I don't typically look like someone who has polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I get a funny look from people when I tell them that I've been diagnosed with PCOS. Um, because I am quite lean. I'm quite petite. Um, and most people associate PCOS with being large. So, um, yes, so I was diagnosed with PCOS on the 14th of August. I only remember that because it's the day I went and saw pink in Brisbane. Um, and so my doctor said, you can either keep trying for another four or five months, basically until early next year, or I can refer you to a gynecologist now. So maybe take us through when she said try for another four or five months. There was a reasoning behind that. So obviously you've been to this doctor a few times and you've explained the contraceptive that you're on, things like that. So yeah. maybe 
take people through that. Okay. Um. So prior to so a little bit of history about my um contraceptive past. Um. I think I was eight. Do you remember the first time you got a contraceptive? Oh, and your mother was there. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yes. Look so on her face. we um. So I think I was about. I was either 17 or 18. I'm not 100% sure. It might have been early that year. So I was probably 17. Um, and I had obviously been to the doctor and um, got a prescription for the pill. And You were so scared. I was I was scared. Um, so I we went to the chemist to fill the script. And I'm not really sure why your mum was there. I think she'd been shopping and she'd know she'd saw us at the chemist, so she'd come in. No, because she was at the counter. I know she was at the counter because she walked up with me. Yeah, I think she was getting her own script filled or something like I that. I don't know. But she walked up next to me and the pharmacist came over and he said, have you been on the pill before? And I had only known Paul's mother for maybe five or six months then. And the look... On my face, I'm sure I went as white as a ghost but had the pinkest cheeks in the world <laughs> at that point in time. I was totally embarrassed. Um, anyway, so we did have a good laugh about that because the look on his mother's face was just as embarrassed. We still have a good laugh about it. We do. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that was, I was 17 when I first went on the pill. Um, I was on the pill for roughly eight years. Um, I don't know. Within that, within that eight years of being on the pill, I had three lots of roughly 12 weeks of bleeding. And the, on the third one, um, I changed doctors and she actually sent me for some, Further testing, I guess you could say. So I had an ultrasound. That was my first encounter with Wanda. Anybody who is already in the infertility community knows who Wanda is. Um, do you know who Wanda is? I have a rough idea, but just to maybe expand on, because you, you talk about you went for an ultrasound, but then fast forward, obviously, many years further and another ultrasound picked up something different so do you think it wasn't present what we picked up more recently wasn't present earlier on look um i think i'll go into that a little bit more later on because there's a bit there's a little bit further into the story once we get to the gynecologist appointment okay um so i obviously my first encounter with wanda and for anybody who doesn't know who Wanda is, Wanda is the internal ultrasound. Um, basically, and any crude ears, we might need to cover up, but basically Wanda looks like a roughly a Female seven to eight toy? inch dildo. You're trying to be polite and I'm just being real. Um, yes, so that's what Wanda looks like and they slap a condom-like 
thing on the outside and they lube her up and you look at it and go, it does not matter how much lube you put on that. I'm not going to fit all of that inside of me. Because that thing looks scary. I don't think it's, I don't think she's scary anymore. But when you first lay eyes on her and you go, you're going to put that where? It's a little bit intense. <laughs> um, so from that investigations, we actually didn't find anything. There was no, po no polycystic ovaries, no cysts anywhere else. Everything looked normal. Um, I also had um, blood testing done at the same time. The only thing um, that was a little bit off there was I was low in vitamin D. Obviously working inside, that happens. I guess so. They, they do only look for what the doctor has asked them to look well, for. Yeah, of course. So if the doctor had no inclination or anything like that, they probably wouldn't have looked further in depth on particular yeah. sections. And I think... Um, from my perspective now, that is where I believe if that doctor can't find why I am bleeding for three months, that doctor should be referring to me to someone who can. Instead, what I got was, oh, maybe the pill's just not right for you anymore. So then I was given some options. Um, I could have the Mirena, um, I could go on the Inflanon bath that goes in your arm, but that wasn't recommended for me because I have quite small arms and they think that it would be visible, um, I guess through my arms, especially at the time we were quite regular at the gym, um, so... They were worried that, especially while I'm gaining muscle in my arms, that it would be quite visible and um, so that was a concern for her. Do you think that, you know, the, you said the doctor obviously said that the pill's not right for you, is it because, obviously thinking now of the later diagnosis of PCOS, that because you don't fit the typical mould, that thought didn't even cross their mind? Um, possibly. But I also think she did test for a lot of things and um, I think PCOS is a rapidly developing um, diagnosis. It's a rapidly developing um, syndrome that they're only just starting to understand. And as we know, obviously completion. there's the new scale and the old scale, but we'll yeah. probably talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll delve into that a little time. bit more later. Um so yes, I was offered the Marina, I was offered uh, the Implanon, and then I was offered the Depot Provera injection, which was sold to me as a great thing. And you were there for that. I don't remember any selling, but yeah, sure, <laughs> let, let's go with that. <laughs> Um, she said, we inject you with this, 
after three injections, your period will stop completely, which means you can have intercourse whenever you like. You definitely won't get pregnant on it unless you um, miss the uh, miss your next injection day after twelve weeks. And so I thought that was a good thing. She also did say to us that one of the downsides of using Depot was that um, it would take a little bit a little bit longer for our fertility to return. And when I asked her how much longer it would take than the pill, she said two weeks. And obviously, we are finding out. Yeah, but in saying that, it can take up to two years for the hormones from the depot injection to actually leave your body and the effects to actually stop. Yeah, but as we know, a everyone's different, of course, and b there's probably b is a good chance that there is other circumstances that are affecting our particular situation yeah of course and we find we are finding that out now but i think it's really important um and i probably want to do another episode later on about this but i think it's education around what we're putting into our bodies is so important food lots and lots of food Good <laughs> and i'm i'm sure that you of all people now know how passionate I am about that. Um, and as I said, well, that, that's another podcast in itself. Um, but so after the my first injection of Depot, my period stopped completely. So what do you think happens? Because obviously, you know, we have an understanding that women are born with set number of eggs mm-hmm. and that you ovulate and everything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So what's your understanding then that if your period stops, does that mean you stop ovulating? So you do. You do stop you stop ovulating completely while you are on depot. Much the same as you stop ovulating while you're on the pill, which a lot of people don't understand because the education isn't there. Again, I'll go into that a lot further in another episode, but for now, that's that's about as much as I'll I'll say on that. Um, so back to my contraception story. Um, so I was on the Depo Provera injection for twelve months, and my last injection. I had a horrible reaction to the, not the injection itself, but not the, not the hormones or the drug itself, but to the actual injection. So I'm sure that you've you heard this story a lot. I've heard this story. I just don't know how you, the way you just explained that. I didn't have a, a problem to the injection, but I had a problem to the injection. No, the drug. I didn't have a reaction to the drug, but I had a reaction to actually receiving. So the needle. Receiving part. the needle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, um, the nurse, I'd been getting them in my butt for the whole time. I'd never got it in my arm ever. Um, 
my doctor originally didn't recommend that I got them in my arm. Again, I'm quite a small person. Um, I am quite petite, so she didn't want me to be uncomfortable, I guess. Um, so I had been getting them in my bum the whole time. Never had an issue with it. Um, and this particular nurse put it roughly about four or five centimetres down my bum instead of at the very top where I had got it any other time. Um, and she actually held the needle inside me for about a minute, to which I fainted and my blood pressure dropped significantly. And I am obviously being a small person, I have quite low blood pressure as it is. So for me to drop blood pressure, I, I do faint quite quickly. Um, so after that injection, I obviously decided and we discussed that uh, we would, I would probably not have the injection again. And we had also been discussing that in the next six to 12 months, we would probably start trying. Um, so actually after that injection, we had another discussion that we would probably start trying a little bit sooner than the 12 months. So we decided that I would just stop contraception, sorry, altogether. But we still went down contraceptive paths. We did. So basically we just went back to the good old days of using male contraceptive. You can just say the word condoms. condoms. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so we obviously started using condoms again, which at first felt a little strange for me. Um, but I also think... Did you break down and cry this time? No, you didn't. Um, so, yeah, uh, it did. It felt a little bit strange for me at the time. Uh, but I obviously persevered because I'm quite a sexual person. Probably. Guys, you're going to learn way too much about us in this podcast, I think. But nothing's off bounds. Nothing's out of bounds. Out of bounds is what I mean. Off limits. Nothing's off limits. Nothing's out of bounds. I merged them two together, okay? Shush. <laughs> I'm just here to prompt you, that's all. Um. So... Yeah, so nothing, nothing's off limits with us. You're going to learn a lot about us. So I am a very sexual person, so I got over the whole, I think this feels weird after 10 years of not using contraception, not using condoms to back to using condoms. Um, but I got over it. And then, um, yeah, so that was pretty much the end of our contraceptive journey in February. Yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was February. That was basically the end of us using contraception at all. So, yeah, back to where are we now? So I've just been diagnosed with PCOS. Um, so uh, my doctor obviously said, offered for us to continue trying for the six months because... I had not long come off the um, Depo Provera and we had learnt that there was 
there could be up to a two-year period where my reproductive system is not back to normal. Um, but And then she also offered to refer me to a gynecologist straight away. And obviously I took that option because after trying for, we would have been at about eight months then, almost eight months, um, I was getting a little worried. So I took um, that referral and I asked her to refer us to um, the gynecologist obstetrician fertility specialist who we had actually picked probably 12 months prior, do you reckon? Was quite, probably... quite possibly. You did a lot of research into it, I'll be honest. Yeah. I did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I just showed you my favoured option and you agreed because, let's be honest, I'm the one that has to push the baby out. With Pretty the much. help of the doctor and, of course, you can get me ice chips and rub my back, but... Ooh, ice chips. That seems... Don't eat my ice chips. <laughs> That, at the moment, seems a little bit far off for us. So, um, yeah, so I took the referral for the obstetrician. Um, and, I, yeah, I got her to refer us to the obstetrician that I would like to use for our birth. Um, and, obviously, our prenatal treatment. Um, prenatal care, I guess, is the word I want to use there. Um so I called to book that appointment and they said, you can have an appointment in two months' time. So we took it. So we took the appointment. Yeah. So we waited the two months and we continued trying to make a baby. And I naively thought to myself when I booked that appointment, oh, we could have to change this appointment or what the appointment's for. Because it's two months down the track, we've got two chances of falling pregnant between now and our appointment. Um, unfortunately, we're didn't here. Play out. So it didn't. <laughs> um, it didn't go to my scheming plan. Um, so we had. We've just recently had that appointment. Uh, that was just over a week ago. Yeah, yeah, Friday, Friday week ago. Um, so we met our doctor, Tina Fleming, um, who is amazing. <laughs> uh, we basically sat down and had a chat with her. She was warm and welcoming and reassuring. Uh, she basically asked us who we were, how long we'd known each other, how long have we been together, how long have we been married, how long have we been trying to conceive, um, what testing have we had done before, and then she went a little further in depth into my cycles, um, because she looked at my, uh, ultrasound results and um, read that I had 18 follicles or polycysts um, on one ovary and only a few on the other. Uh, now, in the old um, 
scale. The old scale for polycystic ovarian syndrome. The um, the amount of follicles you had to have were 12 or more. Um, of 13 or more, I think. 12 is normal. So anything over 12 was considered abnormal. In the new scale, I believe it's 20. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. Um, but, so I don't quite fit that. So she wanted to delve a little bit deeper into my polycystic ovarian uh, diagnosis. Um, so she started asking questions like, how are my cycles? And I have um, in my phone my last 10 cycles since we, the 10 cycles since we started trying. And they range anywhere from 16 days to 137. And I wish we had video with this podcast because Paul's eyes just like bulged out of his head, even though we've heard that a million times. <laughs> um, so they basically, <laughs> Tina, um, Dr. Fleming basically did the same thing that Paul just did then. That's a really irregular cycle. Our biggest problem trying to conceive at the moment is we don't know when I ovulate. It's really hard to tell when I ovulate. Um, so long story short, with the PCOS, uh, Dr. Fleming is not convinced that I actually have PCOS um, and has given me a referral for some blood tests to confirm that. Uh, she then went a little bit deeper into what my cycles are like, asking, do I have any pain in between cycles? Do I have any bleeding in between cycles? Do I have pain with my periods? Uh, where is my pain and what sort of scale is my pain on while I'm on my period? Um, to which we obviously had a in-depth conversation about I I get little niggly pain here and there in between periods um, I do sometimes spot or bleed obviously in between my periods uh, I have quite intense pain um, and I did tell her that and then she actually specifically asked me was my pain only in my abdomen or was it in my abdomen, my back, my bum and my legs? Which I thought was a little bit of an odd question, but I also kind of, I, I knew where she was going with it and it made my heart sink a little. Dr. Google one, Sam zero. <laughs> Dr. Google slash infertility podcast slash infertility Instagram page. So where do you think she was going? So I basically knew she was going along the lines of endometriosis. And I felt sorry for you and I felt sorry for her because as soon as she said that she thinks that I could have endometriosis, I burst into tears. 
because for me, the only thing I know I knew about endometriosis is it can cause infertility, like complete infertility. And my brain goes to the point um, where am I never going to have a baby? It's a hard point to comprehend, isn't it? Especially in my brain. I've been told on several occasions that um, people have never met someone who wants a baby as much as I want a baby. Yeah, true, which is ironic because of the people I speak to and you know the, the experiences that I've had, I can think of anything worse than having than cleaning up after dirty diapers and <laughs> milk vomit and everything like that. But well, that's probably a whole different topic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not about. It's not about the dirty diapers. It's not about the milk vomit. It's about experiencing what it's like to take care of someone else, to love someone like you've never loved anyone before. Don't sad face me. Ouch, <laughs> sad face. Um, but, yeah, it was a scary... It was it was a scary thought to run through my brain immediately as she said endometriosis. Um, and obviously that's why I had a little meltdown. The other reason I had a little meltdown was I am terrified of surgery. So did you immediately know that it was gonna be a surgery? Yeah, because I knew that you can't act they can't actually diagnose you with endometriosis 100% without actually going in and finding where it is. And the if it's on if it's if it's that bad that it's affecting your fertility, the only way to fall pregnant or the likelihood have the likelihood of falling pregnant increase is to remove it. Okay. So that's stuff that I already had in my mind. Do you get to keep it? Like kids keep their tonsils? Ew, no. Hey, look, guys, I've got some endometrial lining in the jar. Do you want to look at it? No. Ew. <laughs> had to ask a question. Um, so, yeah, obviously, and then we uh, – she did an internal exam. And this time it wasn't like Wanda. It was – like being touched up by a doctor. Were <laughs> <laughs> her fingers warm? I I didn't even worry if her fingers were warm. It was not something that I would, Loop, I had thought about. Lubed up? I, I hope so. Yeah, I think so. Well, she <laughs> gave me tissues afterwards, so. Clean yourself up. <laughs> do, that's, do you know what? The funniest thing is that is exactly what they say. Same when you have your um, your ultrasound. That's exactly what they say. Take your time. There's tissues over there. Clean yourself up. I'll meet you back out the front. Um, so she did that internal. Uh, asked me in a few spots, was I tender? The first spot she asked me, I wasn't. 
um, and then she went up under my cervix and it was very tender. Um, so basically, uh, what came out of that was she believes that it's quite likely I do have endometriosis and Dr. Fleming is an endometriosis specialist. So if somebody who's been trained and researched endometriosis and removed, re removed endometriosis for a really long period of time, I'm not 100% sure of the how many years, but if somebody like that tells you that they are pretty sure you have endometriosis, you probably believe them. So instead of going into that clinic and being handed some Clomid and saying, let's get your ovaries working, which is what I thought was going to happen, I walked out with a surgery date and a bill for $1,500. Which is obviously a, a little bit shocking. You, you go in with certain expectations mm. and then those expectations are quite quickly quashed and... Yeah. You're left a little bit... Shell-shocked. Shell-shocked, disappointed, sad. Of course. But what we're probably going to do now is we'll finish this one up here. Yep. And we'll pick up the next podcast, talk about how you feel about surgery. We've also got, obviously, a few other things there. We've got blood tests, how you've explained it to some of your friends and your family. Yeah. How they've interpreted and reacted. Because there have been some very interesting reactions. There have. <laughs> we'll also go into, I have a bit of testing that needs to be done on my end. Yeah. Which... Jerk off room. Yes. <laughs> which we'll, we'll touch base on that. We'll never know. But by the time we do the next one, those tests may have already been done. So we might be able to Hopefully. do a bit of a... This is, I know, a bit of a head before the... the we won't even call it the procedure because I think we might record the next one before... You get your procedure done, called medical yeah, procedure, we've only, your surgery. We've only got about three weeks left before that, so hopefully yeah. we can record a, yeah. an episode or two before then. Yeah, just get a sort of a breakdown into your mental state, I suppose. Not that I'm a psychologist. <laughs> Please don't take me for a psychologist. Yeah, don't. But he's not. <laughs> get your mental state and how you've processed the news of surgery. Yeah. Especially, you know, you haven't gone into surgery before, so just how you're feeling about everything. Yeah. You know, we'll touch on the financial side of thing, how that impacts us. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we'll pick that up next time. Awesome. So, so all, all that's left to say is thanks for listening. This has been Beauty and the Infertility Beast, and uh, we hope you subscribe and look forward to chatting to you again. <laughs>